Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, my plan is to cover an entire verse tonight. Since this is lesson 10 and we've made it through three verses, uh, it may take a miracle, but I believe we can do it. We're um, in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at, cha- or at verse 4 tonight. So let's just read these first four verses together. Actually, just let's, we're going to read all the way down to verse 6 because I, I want to kind of look at things a little bit farther ahead. So verse 1 of Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I'm going to actually stop there, and I'll, I'll touch on these other ones, even though I'm not going to go back and read them. Um, we've gone through in detail, the first three verses. But I just want to look briefly, we're going to look tonight at verse 4 at why uh, or how, maybe is a better word, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's, there, it's one thing for, for, for Paul to assert this is what happened and he, he did assert that. It's not, uh, and we're going to see that with, with verse 4. Paul is not making an argument here. He's just stating facts. This is how it is. But in verse 4, he's going to tell us where these blessings came from and how it is that we are blessed with all of these blessings. But b- before we do that, I want to give you an outline of this because from verse 3 through 14 is one long sentence in the Greek. But there are all of this, and, and this, is, this is somewhat academic, because we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we also know that the three are one. So when we talk about the Father, we're also talking about the Spirit and the, and the Son. But Paul divides up the work, and that's part of what we're going to see tonight in verse 4. He shows the division, the trinity, in this passage. Verse 4 through 6 is all work that's done by the Father. And you can see that at the beginning of of verse 4. He chose us in him. In him is referring to Christ. So who is the he that chose us? Well, it's the Father. And then in, in uh, verse 5, he predestined, it says having predestined us, but he predestined us. Who is that? Again, it's the Father. 
in the end of verse 6, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Again, the he is referring to the Father. Now, verse 7 through 12 goes into the work of Jesus. It says in the beginning of verse 7, in him we have redemption. And so that's all talking about the work that Jesus did, and we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. And then in um, verse 13 and 14, it's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's saying, in him you also trusted after you heard the, the truth of the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Once the, the Father has chosen us, and we're going to see here in a second, he did that before he ever created the first Adam. Even empty space didn't exist. Time didn't exist. Then he, he set it out that Jesus, were, our, our salvation is going to be wrapped up by being in him. It's being, having that oneness and that being joint heirs and joint beings, really, with Christ. But the, the work of the Holy Spirit was to seal us and to guarantee this is coming. I love, um, you know, in, in verse um, 14, he says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That's New King James. Uh, original King James says he's the earnest. If you've ever bought a house, you go to a, um, a realtor, you look at a house, you say, yep, we agree on the price. We want to buy it. Let's set it up, we'll schedule a closing, we'll get our, you know, our mortgage, whatever it is. And the guy, you know, the, the um, um, whoever's selling it's going to look at you and say, okay, I need some earnest money. If we're going to take this house off the market, you got to put something down. And it's usually a pretty good price. It's, it's, it's a guarantee that you are going to go full, that you're going to fulfill the transaction that you promised to fulfill. Well, our earnest our guarantee is the holy spirit himself pretty good down payment on what's coming the presence of the spirit within us but going back to verse four paul starts here in verse four um, he says and it's a continuation of verse three verse three says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us it's already taken place with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, in the same way, that's what just as, in the same way that he chose us. The choosing is the Father's thing, but that's where our blessing is. It's not our work. Now, yes, in order for me to get saved, I have to exercise faith in what Jesus did. But apart from the Father saying, before the universe ever existed, we're going to create a universe. I mean, this is, this is how I imagine it, and then this imagination is not scriptural, but um, in my mind, I can see this happening. It's a meeting of the Godhead. I don't know if angels existed at this time. They may have, but they may not have. Um, but the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit got together. None of the, um, nothing existed. Not the first bit of empty space, not the first bit of energy, no matter, nothing. But they looked at each other and said, hey, 
let's create a universe and we're going to create it but here's the problem when we create it we're going to put man in it they're going to fall to satan and we're going to it's going to require us to go down for you jesus specifically you're going to have to go down and you're going to have to redeem these people back out of their 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 sin their mistake and the amazing part is jesus said okay And they had this all decided, and with his foreknowledge, they knew who would get saved, who wouldn't get saved. But it doesn't say that, it does just say he chose us. Now, you can read into that, that he chose only the believers, and the unbelievers he didn't choose. I've heard that preached. I've read it from... from, um, um, several writers and, and from some theologians that I highly respect. But when I, and, and that's a part of predestination that if you go too far out in that, and it's Calvinistic thought basically, go too far out, you can eliminate man's free will. Well, he has given us free will. That was part of the deal. God said, you know, you guys, you can make this decision or not make this decision. So when I read this, in order to preserve free will, what I see here, because he also says in, in other parts of the epistles that it's God's will that everyone be saved. He wants all of us to be saved, every human being. It's his will for them to get saved. Does not mean they all will get saved. So I see his choice was, we're going to pay the price for every soul that will ever be born. But we're going to give them the choice whether they want to step into it or not. Otherwise, I would be saved before I was ever born. Well, I didn't exist before I was ever born. I believe that God intended for, ever, for all of us to be saved and has made the opportunity for all of us to get saved. But in the same way, it, it used to really bother me back in Exodus when God told uh, Moses, he said, I'm going to raise up Pharaoh and I'm going to harden his heart to make an example out of me. And I would read that and I would think, that's not fair. <laughs> what did Pharaoh do that God's going to, going to make him force him to reject what Moses is saying it's like Pharaoh loses his free will there but I heard it described one time that the process there is like setting clay out in the sun or setting wax out in the sun or putting him under intense heat it's not the heat that changes It is the heat that will change the things, but it's the condition of the materials that are under the heat that determine whether the the object gets hardened, like clay, or melts like wax. So it was when God said, I'm going to harden his heart, what really God was talking about was, when I turn up the heat, Pharaoh is going to choose to stay with his traditions where he is God, and I'm not. And in rejecting me, the more often he rejects me, it's going to harden 
time after time, every time he rejects, it's going to harden his heart a little more to the point where it's going to break. I see that for us too. God has, you know, the Holy Spirit will draw people to Christ. And this is a danger if you're not saved, is that if you resist that drawing too often, every time you resist it, it's a little harder to get entrance. It's one of the reasons it's so great to see little children get saved. Their hearts are tender. And I, I know with my kids, I don't think they ever remember a time when they, they, didn't, they weren't, had, didn't have a relationship with the Lord. Because they, they just grew up with it, and they accepted it and, and welcomed it. And it's, you know, it saved them a lot of problems. doesn't mean they've lived a perfect life. They haven't. But that's what I believe when he says he chose us. He chose us, but we still had to respond in faith. But the point that Paul's getting here is the choosing is still not us. Us responding to God, because we, when we even make the statement, we'll say, well, when did you, you know, rather than asking people, when did you get saved? A lot of times we'll say, when did you find God? <laughs> well, I found him after he ran after me for years and years and years and years. You know, it's it's sometimes we we turn around and we find God there and we think, wow, I where have you been all my life? And I know he just got to want to slap himself in the head and say, I've been chasing you like like crazy trying to get a hold of you. But that was his choice. Even even the fact that we that we have salvation available came from him. It's and, and the thing it does for me is. Because this is a continuation of, of verse 3, where he says all these blessings are tied up in this, even the blessings are not my responsibility. Now, yes, you, you can't go too far with that. If I'm going to walk in God's blessings, I have to walk in obedience. If I walk in disobedience, I'm walking in the devil's backyard, and he'll beat your brains in. But the fact that those blessings are available is God's idea. And where that comes into, for me, where that really becomes important is I've had people say this because I'm part of the Word of Faith movement. And we are accused often. And people say, well, you're just, you know, you make these faith declarations and you think you can move God. And I've even heard that expression from some people in the movement. You know, you need to move God with your prayers. Well, I don't need to move God. God's already there. He wants to bless me more. He, cho he chose to bless me before the universe ever existed. I'm just trying to figure out where do I go to get in that blessing and what do I have to do to get my life straightened out and to get the devil off my back because even when I get to the blessing, he's, the devil's still there to steal, kill, and destroy. So, But it, it helps me to know God decided he wanted me to do, have this before he ever created anything. He wanted me blessed. That just takes a lot. Because I, I, I've even, you know, I had, and I, I'm on Facebook a lot. If it wasn't for having to deal with the church web or the church Facebook page, I'm at the point where I would just <laughs> walk away from it. 
And it's not, there, there's a lot of secular things that drive me crazy, but those are easy. I just click and say, I don't ever want to see from this page again. And eventually those things will dry up. And when I have certain people that always are posting stuff, I don't unfriend them. I just quit following them. So it, unless I want to go look at their page, I don't see any of that. The one that drives me crazy is when, I, when Christians post things. And it's like, you know, I just want to know God's will in this situation. And the situation is, you know, they have cancer and they want to know whether it's God's will for them to live or die. And their, 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 um, their determination is that, well, if I die of this sickness, then that was God's will. And if I get healed of this sickness, then that was God's will. Rather than going to the Word and finding out what God's will is and realizing, and this is the, the fallacy in the, that thinking, is there is an enemy. We're, everything that comes down our path is not God's handiwork. We have the devil in the earth, and he is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And if we don't kick, his, kick him back out of our lives, he will do it. And sometimes, I, I said it Sunday, well, yeah, but it's been a long time. I, I, this fight has been going on forever. Well, it's, those fights are going to go on till you die. <laughs> you know, it's until you draw your last breath, you're going to have to fight your flesh and fight the devil. It's just part of living in our, our, um, our existence. I, getting back to this part about being chosen, I thought about this and I just looked it up. In the message in Romans 8, 28 through 30, this is how they, they uh, deal with predestination. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. And this is the part I love. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. He chose me by name. When he made this decision and chose us before the foundation of the earth, even though he never created anything, he saw my face. He knew my name. He knew all of us. And he didn't just choose us. It says he called them by name. He set them on a solid basis with himself. That was the choice. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously complete, completing what he'd begun. That's the work of the Holy Spirit is to gloriously complete what he started. Philippians says that. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Well, God started it by his choice and God will bring it about through his power, through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, this isn't the only place. I want to go several places to show this isn't just something because it's, it, it's dangerous while I'm talking here. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's dangerous to see something said in the Bible one place and make a doctrine out of it. You know, it, if, it's, if it's important enough, God's going to repeat it. Uh, and he did through Paul. He also, we're going to look at, at, he said it through Peter, and he also, Jesus himself said it. 
But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, this is New King James, he said, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Notice that that process. It started with God choosing us for salvation. Then he brought it about through sanctification. He set us apart by the Spirit, but we had to exercise faith in the truth. It wasn't just God chose it and that's it. I can't resist his grace. Yes, grace can be resisted. I think you're a fool if you do, but it can be. That's why people go to hell. They have resisted God's grace. But it says, to which he called you by our gospel for obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Or verse 13 he chose the choosing came first because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. Then he called us. That happened. Verse 14. He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 15. We stand fast in that. And then uh, Peter said something similar in first Peter chapter one. First Peter one, um, the first two verses says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Verse 2, this is where he gets to it. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It's interesting that that word elect there is um, Greek word electos, which means one selected or one chosen. So he's, if we plug that in, he said, you're selected or you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Notice again, the selection came first. The choosing came first. Then we were sanctified and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. If God hadn't chosen us, Jesus never would have come. They had to, the, the God had made that decision before any of, of the other things could happen. And then in John 17, this is the great, great prayer of Jesus. Jesus even hints at this or, or lays out this same pattern. So John 17, let's start in verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also, also may glorify you. Verse 2, as you have given him authority over all flesh. Jesus very clearly says, I'm the boss. This world is mine. But then he tells us why. That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. He's speaking about himself in the third person. He's saying, 
you have given me authority over every human in the, in the world. Doesn't say it here, but implied there. Dead, living, and those that haven't come yet. But my job is to give eternal life, but only to those that you have given me. I, and again, that sets forth. God is already, before Jesus ever came, God the Father said to the Son, you're going to go pay the price for these people. I have chosen them, and the only way we can get this done is you've got to go sacrifice your life. Then verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The whole role of, of Jesus was to come and reveal the Father. Now, it's changed in our dispensation of the church. Our role is to tell people about Jesus. And it is, it is interesting. Jesus was in the earth. The Father was in heaven. The Holy Spirit infilled Jesus to anoint him for ministry. But the ministry of Jesus was to point people to the Father. Now that Jesus has ascended to heaven... And all authority has been invested with him. The Holy Spirit is still here in Jesus' body, the body of Christ. But our function is to point Jesus or point the world to Jesus. And Jesus will introduce them to the Father. So it's, but it all comes down to the fact that God started this, God the Father started this by cho choosing us. Verse 4 says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That is, for people who claim Jesus had never claimed deity, boy, you can't get past that one. Lord, glorify me together with you, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I existed before the universe did because I'm one with you. And then verse 6, he gets back to this. This is where he, he's manifesting to the people. And he's talking specifically about the Jews that are, are right there with him. But the principle we've seen in, with Paul and Peter, it's, it's for all mankind he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. These were, were people that God chose, and God the Father said, Jesus, you go collect my people, my chosen ones. Now, they had to, there was part of, of uh, an action that they had. They had to keep his word. They had to believe then. It, I don't know if it was, it started to say it was easier for them. I'm not sure it was easier for them. But they did have Jesus right there in front of him. So their faith was in this man standing in front of me that he is the Messiah. Jesus told Thomas when Thomas, you know, he, did, uh, he uh, demanded that he wanted to see the, the nail holes in Jesus' hands and in his side, and in his feet, and Jesus said, hey, you're blessed because you've seen much more of those that are blessed that don't see and yet believe. 
but it's still we are required to exercise faith. And then verse seven. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. That part there in verse 8. I have given them the words which you have given me. Not only did Jesus or did the Father choose us. But Jesus, he gave Jesus words to speak to the people there. He gives us. That's why. But he said, don't worry about what you should say when you're called before men. I'll give you the words to say. He has words for us to communicate to people the gospel. And it's, it's really not, we can make it complicated, but it's not complicated. First and foremost, the best gospel preaching you'll ever have is to share with people, this is what God's done for me. Now, the problem comes in with some Christians. You know, Jesus d- d- described to the Pharisees, he said, you know, you, you go all over. This is the Robert's paraphrase. You go over God, all of God's green earth to try to find one disciple. And when you do find them, you make them twice the son of hell that you are. Well, I know a lot of Christians, <laughs> they're not very, they're, they're so legalistic and so worried about making heaven that they become legalistic and they're not happy. They're just, they're, they're so worried and so tied up in this is what you have to do and they want to make little cookie cutter Christians. And to be honest with you, some of them I look at them and I'm thinking if, if that's really what Christianity was all about, I'm not so sure I would be interested either. You know, it's, it's well, we're going to get to it here. Going back to Ephesians 4, there is a reason though. Verse 4, he said, just as he, the Father, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, there's a purpose to it, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. There is a purpose in God the Father choosing us, and the purpose is to reverse the curse of the fall of man. He wants to, we, we talked about that a little bit Sunday, Galatians 3.13 says that Jesus became the curse that we might be redeemed from the curse of the law. Well, you go back through Deuteronomy 28 and in other places, but that's the main place. All of those curses, they're horrible things that come with disobedience. But if we are holy and without blame before him in love, and that's, remember, this is God's choice, not our obedience now yes we have to be obedient to obey the gospel but when we are obedient to obey to obey the gospel we're recreated and we are holy and without blame before him in love right then God looks at us no matter what we've done that day no matter what we've done any day he looks at us and all he sees is Jesus and Jesus's blood I've had this quote, I don't think I've got it here tonight, but I've had it in my notes for weeks. Satan knows who you are and calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but calls you by name. 
He sees you as he believes for you. I, when I was in, in Bible school, I still had a lot, and I know it's hard for you all to believe, but I still had a lot of things to work out in my life. I, was, I, had, I wasn't on the crazy train. I had jumped on and got to the end of the line of the crazy train. And Gina went to our pastor, I think it was after a Wednesday night service, because that church there, and that was a church of nearly 4,000 people. But out of 4,000 people, they might have three to four to 500 people on a Wednesday night, which is pretty much typical, you know, maybe 10%. Because it was a smaller crowd, you could actually, you know, get to the pastor. And she went and asked him, she said, and she just briefly described some of the things I was having to deal with. And he said, and his advice said, well, I understand all of those things are real, but you need to see him as God sees him. And you need to start talking about him, how you want him to be, according to the gospel, rather than what you see out of him. And that was a real revelation. There was a real revelation to me. It, it, that's, that's basically what faith is. Find out what God says about the situation and start viewing the situation that way. That's walking in love. It, it's, that's how Jesus has reversed the curse, even though the curse is still stealing and killing and destroying and robbing from me, Jesus doesn't see me that way. He doesn't see me beat up and broke down and desperate. He sees me as redeemed and powerful, ready to take on the world. In fact, the fact that we know it's reversed you don't have to turn over there. First <clears throat> John 3, 8, the end of that verse says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And it's interesting, that word there for destroy is the Greek word luo, and it's a, it's a verb that means to loosen or to break up or to dissolve. So it's, it's not like it, the, the, the power of the enemy is totally done away with, but it's like, and I remember this old movie. I love it. In fact, I watched it not too long ago. It was back on TV again. Support your local sheriff. If you've ever seen that with James Garner. And uh, he was, the plot of the movie, he was on his way to Australia, but he ran out of money. So this town needed a sheriff and they, you know, the sheriff had just gotten killed. So they made him sheriff. Well, he arrested the rich cattle baron's son, for shooting the sheriff, I think, for shooting somebody. But he went to take him to jail, and the, they had built a nice big brick jail, but it had no bars on the windows, no bars on the doors. It was just totally open. But before he went and arrested him, he took a little bit of red paint, and he dribbled it outside of one of the cells. And so he went and arrested this guy, and he took him to the jail and said, there's your jail cell sit down there. I'll be back in a minute. And the guy looked at me and says, you really expect me to be here when you come back? And he said, well, yeah, but if you want to try to escape, you can. And then the guy looked down and saw the red and he said, what's that? He said, oh, that's from the last guy that tried to escape. Well, the guy got so, so scared that he sat in the jail cell with no bars on the windows or the doors. Well, that's how we are. 
Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. He's loosed us. There's no bars on our jail cells anymore. And half of us are sitting in those cells thinking, oh, woe is me. I'm trapped by the devil. And I know Jesus just got to look and shake his head and think, no, you're not. The bars are gone. Walk out. You're free. Go enjoy your life. But he says the, the very similar thing. We're, that was there in Ephesians um, 1, 4, but in Ephesians 5, um, 27, well, starting in verse 25, he's talking about, uh, here he's talking about husbands, and he's making the comparison about husbands and wives and marriage and the church. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why did he give himself for us? That he might sanctify cleanse by the washing of the water of the word why did he do that that he might present her the church to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish going back to what he said in verse four this is god's will it's what jesus came to do now his purpose is is the the same as as John's in First John, we should have a walk with God that not only not only reflects the holiness that God gives us, but to walk that out in our everyday lives. You know, we we need people ought to want to live like us. We ought to make our lives so attractive to people that they want what we have, rather than looking at us and thinking, "Man, that's a miserable guy. Why would I ever want to do that?" Why would I ever want to live like them? But John said it in 1 John, if you go back to the very first chapter. He said, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's the key right there. We, we might have the truth. We might even have a relationship with him, but we're not practicing that truth. In verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. That cleansing to be spotless and without spot or wrinkle and to be holy and not have any blemish comes from having fellowship with walking in the light with Jesus and having fellowship with other Christians. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I mean, it's, it's, for most people, we don't have a problem convincing them that they're sinners. <laughs> most people, you have a problem convincing them that they're righteous. But there are a few. I, in fact, I've met a couple that, you know, well, I've been wholly sanctified, fully sanctified. And you tell them, no, you haven't. And they get mad and throw a fit. And it's like, there's your proof. <laughs> <laughs> you're acting like a crazy person and if you were fully sanctified it wouldn't bother you at all you just shake your head and say well this poor guy's deceived he doesn't know but paul tells us exactly how to do that at the very end of verse four 
in Ephesians 1, he said that we should be without blame before him in love. It's walking in love. Paul said it in Romans 13, and I'll, I'll finish with this one. Starting in verse 8, he said, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. That is, that's what Jesus came to do, to fulfill the law, and then after he fulfilled the law, to pay the price. Well, we fulfill the law by loving one another. And then he lists five of the commandments in verse 9. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he describes how you walk that out. Verse 10, love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We need to walk our lives out in such a way that we do our best to harm, never harm our neighbor. And if you want to know who your neighbor is, I refer you to the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. There was no one more reviled in the Jewish world than Samaritans. They had violated Abraham's commandment to not intermarry with the heathen. And yet Jesus said, that's my neighbor. The most reviled people in our culture, that's, we have to walk in love with them and embrace them and help them. Paul makes it real simple there. And, and most things, to be honest with you, they are simple. That doesn't mean they're easy. <laughs> when it says love does no harm to his neighbor, when your neighbor does something that just hurts you badly, you know, either physically, emotionally, whatever, we still have that nature of the flesh in our, in our bodies. And that, that nature of the flesh will rise up and say, yeah, well... I got something for you. <laughs> it's just we have to learn how to resist that. The best way to do that is to bring it back to who am I in Christ? I'm one with Christ. You know, I, I really never liked them because it just seemed kind of cheesy. But that little band, What Would Jesus Do? WWJD, it, 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 it was a fairly profound thought. Jesus, now you have to understand though, Jesus was walking in love with his neighbor when he sat in the temple and wove the whip and got up and kicked tables over and beat people. So, you know, there's a being just a, a milk toast person who lets people beat up on you is not necessarily being lovely. Sometimes you have to be firm and sometimes you have to be rough with people. You know, I've I've I I know everybody's familiar. I've used the term my dad was right. You know, if you're going to work with mules, you got to hit them in the head with a two-by-four to get their attention. Well, <clears throat> sometimes you have to get people's attention. Not physically hit them, but, you know, sometimes you have to be honest. And sometimes you got to calibrate them. That's right. And sometimes they don't, people don't want to be calibrated. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at fccindianapolis.com.